welcome back to The Craft. I'm Colby and I'm here with my friend Carter. And today we're talking about the artist's journey, the hero's journey, the monomyth, and whatever else it's called that Carter knows that I don't know. (laughs) This is going to be a fun podcast. I've been looking forward to this because we're kind of slamming two things together. So we're going to talk a little bit about the artist's journey, but then we're going to do some, hopefully, I think, productive juxtapositions with Campbell's, Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. So I'm looking forward yeah. to this. Yeah, I've this the whole concept for this episode comes from Stephen Pressfield's book, The Artist's Journey, subtitle, The Wake of the Hero's Journey and the Lifelong Pursuit of Meaning. So yeah, we're really just the concept of this book is tracing those themes of the hero's journey. So I think we should just start there just for anyone who hasn't encountered Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey. Could you give us an intro to that concept? Yeah, start there. Well, here's a question for you. Does Pressfield explicitly mention Campbell in the book? It's been like a couple months since I've read this now, so I can't say with total confidence, but I'm pretty sure he does, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like the hero's journey has been popularized, like almost to like popular culture is familiar with it. So I wasn't sure, you know, if you say hero's journey, there's a good chance that you're referring to Joseph Campbell, but you may not be. Like you may be doing it in like its most popular cultural iteration. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, we can start with that. So Joseph Campbell is a 20th century writer, thinker. He was a student of Carl Jung, spent time with Jung in Germany. And Campbell's big idea, he was basically a comparative mythologist. And so his big book is called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And he basically does a comparative reading where he makes a big proposition. And his thesis is that all myths are basically telling the same story. And so he calls this the monomyth. And so the hero's journey begins with the hero is in the land of the known. Uh, he's with his family. He's at home. You know, He or she is, is in the land of just the normal day-to-day. Uh, there's a call to adventure. Oftentimes, this involves a helper, uh, and then they're brought to the threshold. And so the threshold is the line between the known world and the unknown world. And so at the threshold, something happens. It's either like a battle. They might fight something, fight the brother. There's the archetypal battle with the dragon. Or it could be like they could lose a battle, and it could be they get dismembered like uh, Osiris in the Egyptian myth or uh, crucifixion, Campbell says. There's into the belly of the whale. They could lose, they could win, but there's something that propels them out into the unknown. And so when they're in the unknown, they're facing trials. They oftentimes find helpers or a guide, or you can think of the wise magician of Merlin or Gandalf pointing them in a direction. And then this culminates in what he calls the supreme ordeal. So this is like, you could even think of this as the big boss there's some sort of fight here or there's some sort of zenith of the story uh, where either they're typically, and Campbell says in mythology, there's a marriage. Uh, it could be the marriage as the kind of zenith. could be the approval of the father, thinking of like the ultimate God approving them. It could be apotheosis, they become a God, or it could be a theft. They could steal the elixir. 
or they steal the bride. There's a whole, you know, mythological theme of the stolen. So you can even think about Gilgamesh stealing the elixir. And so then there's a flight and they return. And so then they go and they pass back into the land of the known. And so this could be the rebirth or the resurrection or any sort of return crossing that threshold again. And now they've got the elixir. They've got the boon as as often is, is said. They've got some sort of good in knowledge, and whether this be like a spiritual knowledge or it be a physical, like oftentimes medicinal symbol, they can give something to the community. So you even see this with uh, the myth of the Fisher King in that he is lame and the land is barren. And right, the hero's bringing an elixir that restores the king, fixes the land, right? There's this sort of gift at the end. And so it goes into a circle. And so the interesting thing that Campbell talks about is that there's all sorts of different ways that stories engage with this, right? There are some stories that trace out the whole circle, right? We can think of those. I mean, oftentimes Star Wars is talked about or Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. But there are some stories that fixate on one of the motifs. So they fixate on, right, maybe the threshold crossing. Or they fixate on the return or the flight, the flight of the hero after he's stolen the bride. And so other stories might do the circle in a bunch of different iterations. So there's like a whole chain of circles. Like there's little heroes' journeys tacked on together. And so it's kind of like a cycle. And so there's all sorts of different ways that you can iterate this, that you can emphasize motifs, or you can string them together. You can make larger ones. You can change it. But basically what Campbell's getting at, and he gets very mystical and he gets very um, psychological, even spiritual within this book, but if we resist to go down that way as a conversation, it's basically showing that, look, there's an outline that's been told for mm-hmm. millennia, and they have these common motifs. And we can see this again and again across the world, across cultures, across time. And Campbell is just, I mean, he's an encyclopedia of m- mythology. Uh, he's got some range. And so he gives a really interesting comparative reading that's compelling in a lot of ways. It makes you start to think about this, let's call it a schema. And so when you watch a movie after reading about this, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. there's little Bilbo Baggins leaving the uh, the Shire, right? He's crossing into the unknown. Or you even mm-hmm. watch, yeah, I mean, you kind of name the the movie Oftentimes, you can trace the monomyth on it, yeah. and so it becomes really interesting. That's I've, I've talked a while on that. Any kind of so gut much, reactions man. to it, so or much what to go into? And what's funny is that was very deep and detailed, and not that's not funny. That's great. But my introduction to this was through marketing, and so I have the super simplified and more popularized, modernized version of this. You know that I'm more familiar with. So it's interesting to hear kind of the mythology and the deeper, like more historical roots to the concept. Dude, fill me, fill me in on like kind of your first encounter with it. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. My first encounter was reading the book, uh, how to build a story brand by Donald Miller. Who's an awesome writer. I love his works, but he has this book and it's really just the concept of how many businesses kind of make themselves the hero of the story. And it's like, we're so great but the the best way to communicate to your audience is to make them the hero. And he walks through the monomyth or the, the hero's journey. And he's like, 
kind of gives you the simple framework and there's more, it's more detailed, but the template version of it is like a hero has a problem and needs a solution in order to avoid a pain or an issue. And at that point, a guide shows up and calls them to action, which avoids failure, which is really important and leads to success. And so, I mean, it's a simple, you know, like framework, you can see there's different, if you just Google it, you can find like story brand or hero's journey or for marketing, that kind of thing should pull up some charts of this template, but it's a really straightforward framework for essentially putting yourself as a company as like, you are Gandalf, you are the, or Yoda, you are the mentor. You're not the hero. Your job is to say, Hey, you want to, um, Hey customer, do you want to like do this great thing? Well, here's the problems you need to avoid and here's all the things you have to overcome. Let us help you. And here's what you need to do. And then call that person to action. Um, so, so that's, that was my introduction to the whole thing. But now tonight I want to pull it into like, really f- see like, does this apply to me as a musician, as a creative, as a marketer myself, you know, uh, how does that work? Dude, that's fascinating. I mean, it, it definitely has become a popular idea and specifically like that call to adventure is mm-hmm. often given, like it's either a call to adventure or it could be voluntary or involuntary, right? It could be a kidnapping yeah. in, in, the, in the mythological reading, right? That brings you into mm-hmm. the unknown. Or it could be that call or it could be that exigence, that problem of the community. Look, like there's a drought. Right? There's all sorts mm-hmm. of myths that handle like the land has become infertile, right? What do we do? Mm-hmm. Someone has to go out to fix the problem, right? And so it's, I definitely think, right, they're tying directly, even if it's on a more, let's say, less mythological interest, right? They're yeah. drawing on the story, like it's worked. And so even if you buy none of the claims of, you know, Campbell goes into the unconscious. He goes into all sorts of things. Even if you buy none of that, it's a compelling way because you can quite literally trace stories. And you're like, okay, even if yeah. there's nothing to it, which I think there is something to it, it's still a great way to tell a story. And it's been working for millennia. Definitely. So what he does, tie this back into Stephen Pressfield's work for a minute. He he takes this concept of I'm trying to distill the book because there's so many things I could go into. Like it's a, it's a very, like, it's a pretty short book. I I grabbed it on my Kindle. I think I just like borrowed it from the library on the Libby app, which side note, get that app. It's awesome. Free books from your library. But I think I read it in like an afternoon, maybe two days, but very short book, punchy, short chapters. He's very, you know, casual writer really easy to read. And he's just a quick background on Stephen Pressfield probably should have pulled up a bio or something, but he's the author of the really famous book, uh, the war of art, not the art of war. And the war of art really dives into this idea that, that whenever you do something creative, we all are met with this thing called the resistance. You like capital R, like, you know, it's this force inside of ourselves. That's like, you know, scared of the blank page or afraid of criticism or just unsure of ourselves. Like there's so many different versions of it, but it's this sort of internal battle and dialogue we face as creative people putting out work 
And the whole book, that's why it's called The War of Art, is really like, how do you fight the battle against that resistance to overcome and to put put work out into the world? So there's some of that in the background of this book. I believe this one is more recent. And I believe that he's written other books and then he's written um, like possibly fiction. I'm not sure, but he's written these other books on the creative process and is yeah, just a really like punchy reader for sure, or punchy author. And like the way that the, the writing comes across is really just fired me up, I guess. And is a lot of it biographical? Yeah, there's a good, good bit of just, you know, the quotes that I threw in our notes, uh, kind of, he talks about his own story, like the big picture idea, I think that sparks the book. There's kind of two things that stick out in my mind. The first one is like the, to use the Ryan holiday term, like the obstacle is the way or the, the struggle and the pain and the suffering that you're going through in your life might be the thing that later turns into some sort of fuel for your creativity or for your art. And so the hero's journey, like taking it back to that, like the, the call you might feel to be an artist or to do something creative is not going to just be like, oh, I feel like I should do this and it feels great and it goes well and it succeeds and it's over and it's all up. Like if you look at every story, you see the call of someone, they're not really sure there's insecurities or struggles. Then there's, there's typically actually in the story brand kind of framework, he talks about three different types of villains. There's the external villain, like the actual tangible dangers. There's the internal struggle that may be an insecurity or like a family history thing or a sin struggle. Like there's this like crippling thing, the Achilles heel. And then there's uh, the third feature, which is, or third villain, which is like the philosophical, you know, that's like in Star Wars, like the good or evil, like the, the big picture ideas going on. And so it's almost like that's the journey maybe that we tap into tonight is how do the struggles internal, external, philosophical that we face creatively, how can those be the actual way to like growth and having something maybe to talk about in our art and fuel for the art? I think that's like the first big idea of the book. And then to wrap up my little monologue here, the second one is the idea that the artist goes, whenever you create something, you have to sort of tap into this weird space and he gets very out there, honestly, with this, this kind of ethereal idea of like the artist goes up into this almost different realm or dimension, pulls out some inspiration of something and then comes back and then puts it into the real world. So like the quote that I found on this is the is really interesting. He said, Monet, like every artist, was working simultaneously on both planes. On the Dionysian, he could see in his mind's eye exactly how sunlight bounced off the curvilinear perimeter of a lily pad. On the Ap- Apollonian, he was thinking, if I apply a double thick blob of gentian violet with a medium palette knife and twist it left, handed so that the weightiest section of the blob accretes on the right side, then studio daylight reflecting off of that in juxtaposition to the 4060 mixture of puchsia and fuchsia, or however you say those, on the adjacent blob should create the exact illusion that I'm seeking. So 
that was that second big idea for me. The we're working on these two planes and it's very just abstract idea. I'd love to hear your thoughts on both of those things. Oh man, this is such a can of worms. Uh, <laughs> let's start, I guess, with the first of that. Uh, yeah. He mentions, right, he gives this little, the, the portion that you've put in our notes, right? He goes to this all is lost moment, which he's talking about. And then he talks mm-hmm. about the epiphanal moment, like the epiphany. And this is dead on hero's journey stuff, right? Mm-hmm. The all is lost is the journey down, right? It's you've got to go down into the dragon's lair or Odysseus has got to go to Hades before he returns mm-hmm. home. Uh, there's this downward movement. And we even see this with, right, Austin Cleon even talks about the little trajectory of a project, right? You start off with yes. all this like, Oh, the call to this project, this call to a venture, and then it becomes a slog, right? And then you go down. And then it's at that, for some reason, right? It's at that after the descent or after we, we get through these uh, these trials that there becomes that epiphanal moment. And I think Campbell really would have liked that language because he talks about that supreme ordeal, as he says, as a moment where there's a new realization. Right. There's there's some mm-hmm. sort of knowledge gained or the heroes transformed. And after that, that's what then prompts the return. And that's mm-hmm. the upward trajectory. Right. And so we can plot that as a project, but we can also plot it as kind of right long term. I don't know artistic knowledge in that there's got to be that friction or resistance to get to anything worthwhile, right? Uh, And it's not as if that's a roadblock to it. I mean, the holiday thing is really good because it's like it's through that. Like it's it's a non-negotiable aspect to get to the epiphanal moment. There has to be that throughness. There has to be that downwardness. I don't know what to make of that. I think it's really, really compelling, and it seems true. But yeah, I mean, I think that's very much understanding the artistic journey and even like the journey of a project as that seems to map on really well. I mean, do you do you think it maps on? Yeah, so for people who haven't seen that, we'll drop the link to that graph from Austin Cleon in the bottom or in the show notes. Um, but yeah, that graph is really a great connection point because it just shows like a downward trajectory or it starts up, you know, this is going to be the best project ever. And then kind of just imagine a typical, you know, X, Y graph. And then it starts to trend down like pretty early on and then hit this low point. Like this is the worst project ever. And then slowly start to come back up to this kind of middle point where it's like, okay, it didn't blow, it didn't, uh, you know, change the world like I expected at first, but it did better than I hoped in my moment of despair kind of. So it's interesting because you do, it's like, there's sort of this optimism and then there's this moment of waking up and then there's this all is, all is lost. And then there's this, oh no, all is not lost. It's going to be okay. And there's this growth and this epiphany. So that, I definitely think that it applies on the level of just each project you have is almost going to go through this sort of journey sometimes of like having really high hopes and then being, having to go through the struggle and the suffering of it. That's a part of the process, 
But then I think there is maybe, or really what I wanted to explore tonight is I think maybe this applies to life a little bit more on a broader scale. And it's it's hard to say because I don't want to like say, you know, if you're suffering, like it's because like God's going to make you a billionaire one day, you know, like this sort of like, if this, then that's going to happen. That would be just, lun- you know, lunacy to say, but there seems to be something about just that suffering is not in vain. Struggling is not in vain. And maybe that even applies to the creative process. And maybe we can look at the times that we hit a point of really like not knowing where we're at as a creative person or as an artist and feeling stuck and feeling dried up. Maybe there's something happening there that we just can't see that's going to take time, but maybe some good can come from that. Almost just a message of kind of encouragement. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we just, I just finished reading uh, last week two essays. Well, I was just one essay by Cynthia Ozick on the book of Job, right? There's the question Mm. of suffering. And so Ozick wrestles with that. Uh, And part of her interpretation of the book of Job is that there's, there's not an answer to it, which is interesting too, right? It's like, okay, what's this suffering for? You know, it's not, okay, you made a mistake and, you know, here's your retribution. Like, it's defiantly not. The answer from the whirlwind does not address the question of the suffering. And so not getting into the whole question of theodicy and the problem of evil, I think you make a really important connection between life and art. And that's something we've talked about before, of like, you've got to get up and live and get into things, and your art's going to share in that. That there, here's another instance where I think, yeah, the principles of art in this case, the trajectory of a project, oftentimes is the trajectory of experiences that we have in life, right? You're going to meet the resistance. There's going to be some sort of uh, challenge, a test, even a, right, if we're going back to the hero's journey, a dismemberment, <laughs> a pulling apart. Uh, that, as Pressfield says, right, the, the all is lost moment into, yeah, I think it's very encouraging, right? It's like what's in that, be on the lookout for the epiphany, for the, right. oh, I didn't see this until life grabbed me by the hair and, you know, and dragged me around a little bit. I think it's a very, uh, very hopeful idea. For sure. And I'm I'm glad you brought up those nuances because it's, it's a touchy subject at all to get into the aspects of suffering and the larger meaning. And it's very philosophical, theological even, and there's a lot to go into there. But I think on the higher, just on the lighter level, there's like, there's just so much to thinking about how to see yourself and life in general as a journey, I think. Yeah. Just that in itself is a powerful idea. As a paradigm. Yeah, I really like that. And that you're not just going to arrive as an artist and then you like all of a sudden make all this great stuff. Like every person that we look up to who's been an incredible writer, musician, producer, director, photographer, whatever your thing is, like they went on a journey and it's not just like, endless success after success for everyone. You know, I think if you look into the stories of, of the greatest artists of all time, you're not going to see just, there are of course the sort of outliers of everything of uh, genius to a point where you will never achieve because it's just sort of a God given ability. But then there's also 
so many artists who struggle and go on that journey and it takes time and it's just easy to see the end result. And it's kind of reminds me of that quote, like, uh, I'm a 20, 20 year overnight success, that kind of yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. And I, I really, I like that. And I think too, even with these artists, they're constantly willingly going through the journey again and again. So I think of like a career like mm-hmm. Bob Dylan's, right? Mm-hmm. He's reinvented his sound. Like it's evolved over the years, right? They're constantly trying to, you see this all the time, these really great decades long artistic careers, the really, the artists that are really digging in are never satisfied. I like that you said that. It's like, it's not like they just arrive. Like they're constantly yeah. going through this process again and again and again. And so if we just do it in like musical terms, like each album is a process like this. That's the hero's journey, the little circles, right? Chained together in a long string, which represents a career. And so with each new sound, with each new discovery, right? That's propelling them into another hero's cycle, if you will. And so I think we see that with artists too. It's like, even if you look at right Picasso's art, right? It's evolving. It's changing. He's, he's going through these cycles and we see that, right? Because age and, you know, you read a book when you're 22 and you read a book when you're 60, right? It's going to be different. You're going to think about art differently. You're going to think about things differently. Uh, And so we see this played out, I think a lot too, in a very similar way, like you said, so many artists have this going on in the long arc of their journey, and they oftentimes play it out again and again. So I'd love to just get into that second thing about, here's another quote to tie us back into that. The artist's work brings is to bring things back from another realm beyond this world, from the immaterial, from the muse, from the abstract to the concrete. What's your take on this and you can go as you know deeper shallow as you want i guess (laughs) i love it uh well i really like this i mean the other one that you have there about the monet i think is worth thinking about a little bit he uses some terms from nietzsche the dionysian and the apollonian and without getting into that above my pay grade the apollonian is the rational and so this is the right in the example here this is the practical the praxis, the how do I get that sunlight bounced off of the lilies, what does he say, curvilinear perimeter, right? That's the, <laughs> that's the, the, the rational or the practical or the applied, if you will, right? That's the sure. concrete. The Dionysian, right, is the unbridled, for, for Nietzsche, right, it's the unbridled will to power. It's this ever-recurring, uh, the cycle, the re- eternal recurrence of the same. It's got a lot of, it does a lot of work for, for Nietzsche. But in the way that Pressfield's using it, right, this is the abstract. This is the impulse. Impulse, I think, is a good one for us to attach to the Dionysian. It's the impulse of the creative. And this even goes back to our, one of our creative first principles. This is the create, right? And so if you haven't listened, roll back to our creative first principles. This is the going out and i think i think pressfield's really alert to something here that it is a going out there's it's not yeah it's a reaching up it's a bringing down it's a it's a getting struck by lightning it's something that's not this 
internal, even if you're reflecting on yourself, it's something that's moving from unformed substance to a word. And so if we get really just you know fixated on this, right, you in the act of just writing an email or a text, right, you're taking something immaterial and you're materializing your thought in a very interesting way, right? And that's that's deeply mysterious. And and scientists don't understand consciousness and that right, that there's there's something incredibly opaque about that. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's a creative life, right? It's this. It's this. We, there's a reason, and this is where I would say Campbell would be like, "There's a reason, right? There's a reason that we talked about the muse for hundreds of years, and the muse still seems to, right, give us something where our symbolically we're like, yeah, that's communicating something real because it's like almost as if someone right has brought me this idea, like it appears, mm-hmm. it substantializes, and then you put it down." Is there something you want to grab onto there and run with? I love what you said, man. I think the the big idea here is totally in line with what I've experienced in what little you know work I've done. It's just there's a moment where you are like, oh, that's such a good idea. I have to do that. Or man, I have to I have to write a song about this. I have to f- take a photo of this sunset. I have to write this poem. It's like so there's that urge to make create the thing but then there's sometimes it's just like i have to express my feelings about this topic or this experience in my life or this random business idea pops in your head but there's a moment of inspiration and so that's that higher realm or other realm sort of and then you have to put it down on the page that's bringing it to the concrete and this is that's a hard part in a way but there's actually, I would say the hard part about the first piece is you can't just snap your fingers and get that. And so yeah. we've talked about this before, but it's more about consistently showing up, it seems. Yeah. So that you increase the potential that that will happen and that you'll be ready when it does. Because you need to then have the skill to take that inspiration, idea, concept, whatever it is, and then make it concrete. And so that's where it's like, he's putting the paint on the thing and he's doing it the right way. So there's techniques, yeah. there's color, there's yeah. concepts that he has to understand for the moment when he's struck with that lightning of inspiration. And so that it's almost like reminding me that that's why you train and practice and do projects that yeah. are not necessarily going to be put out in the world, but just to get better because you're sort of trying to increase the, I've heard some people call it the the luck surface area or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But just your potential for things to for you to be ready whenever that inspiration strikes. Oh, I love this! It's you got to go run around in the middle of an open field with a golf club above your head, right? <laughs> you got to be trying to attract the lightning bolt. Uh, but I think right. that's really good. Like, what do we call it? I mean, we use the metaphor of a light bulb, like a light bulb going off. But it's like we don't control the switch which is the interesting mm-hmm. thing, right? It happens suddenly and mysteriously in its illumination, right? It gives us a new way of thinking. But I think you're totally right. You have to be in a position where you're receptive to that. Mm-hmm. And so if we go back to the lightning bolt, like you're not covered in rubber and you're, you know, inside, I don't know what, how you'd make yourself not conducive. Um, but yeah, it's a skill right. thing, really. And, you know, the other thing I'm thinking of here with the material and the immaterial to consider for a moment, right, if you've got a painting, 
of a, let's say, a, a lady, and she's looking really contemplative. And you can't tell whether she's sad or maybe she's just in a moment between things. And you look at this painting and you start engaging with it in an immaterial way, right? You're thinking about what's going on in her life. Is she happy? She's sad. Has someone just broke her heart? Or is she just kind of pulling herself together? You're, you're thinking in a world of meanings and emotions and, uh, and feelings, right? You're engaging with this painting in an immaterial way. But what is the painting? It's a material object. It's quite literally pigment that's thrown around on a canvas. And you could talk about it anatomically. You could talk about like the actual atoms and how they're moving in the canvas. Like mm-hmm. it's a material thing. And had that material thing not existed, then we couldn't have the immaterial thing exist. And so there's this really interesting like dialectic of them both being there. Like we've got mm-hmm. the immaterial that's substantial. Right. If I was just to say, no, that's just paint on a canvas. Like that wouldn't make any sense. No, there's right. a woman there. And like we can talk about her. Or we can talk about whatever the subject of the painting or whatever art is. But it's really interesting, right? It's like the material and the immaterial are combined in art. Throw that, mm-hmm. cast that bread on the water. And then, and then in the in the moment, in the moment, you have to go in between these things. So he talks about sometimes it's like you are taking that journey like sentence by sentence. So like really practically, he talks about like, so you're writing a page and you're, or you're writing a story. And so you you pause. And you kind of think and you get back into the feelings, the emotions, the ideas, the inspiration. And you're up in this sort of space getting inspired. And then you're like, okay, I write a sentence out. And then you're kind of back in the real world. And then you kind of do it again. What's the next sentence? What's the next story? What's the next book? What's the next song? Whatever it is, like it's this constant spin of going up, getting inspired, coming back down. And I mean, he almost talks about it as like, he gets a little more mystical. I don't know, there's so many different metaphors, but it does get kind of mystical. Yeah. almost like you're entering another realm type of thing. But really, it, it just on the practical level, it makes sense. At the least, you're going up into your mind, thinking about and feeling different things, and then you're coming back down into the kind of like real world, and you're making something tangible. And it's just, and then, like you said, then there's the actual side of people who experience your your art who are doing something similar on yes. their end, which is adding a whole new layer to this because, you know, you have the art that goes out and doesn't really get that response. And then there's art that goes out and it gets a lot of response. And uh, that's interesting too. Yeah, it's evocative. And, you know, it's also we can pull it back to the hero's journey in a way too of you know we to to mention a cultural touchstone uh the great michael scott said sometimes i start a sentence and i don't know where it's going uh but it's funny i think we often do this or at least i do right there are some sentences that when i'm writing i'm like okay i know the sentence before but there are much you know there are there are more times when i know the beginning of the sentence but i don't know exactly where the thought is leading me and it's almost as if it's leading me, right? There's there's an unknown. I like how you said, like each each sentence, right? You go into the threshold, then you're out in the unknown, and then maybe a thought comes to you, and you write it down. It's like you've stolen the elixir, right? You've stolen, yeah. and then you're returning, and you're materializing that which you have stolen. Hmm. Which is, you know, I do think we we see those little tiny 
hero's journeys happening with sentences sometimes. Yeah. So I want to leave you with one more thought from this book that I think we should spin off into other episodes and just kind of get your thoughts a little kind of behind the scenes Ooh, of the podcast here we go. for a minute. Because I think uh, here's here's the quote, and then we'll kind of I'll give some more context. But okay. he basically talks about each one of these subject, voice, point of view, medium of expression, and style is an aspect of the single question, what is my gift? Which is itself another way of asking, who am I? And aside from the comment, the fact that that's, that just reminds me of that one Tom Cruise movie, who am I? Uh, if you know, you know. Uh, but the, it, aside from that, that's a total tangent. Really, this was interesting to me. Like the idea, he had sort of a couple different chapters what broke down, every artist has a subject, every artist has a voice, a point of view, a medium of expression and a style. So just a quick breeze over those subject, you know, is like your topic and theme of all your, that kind of is like an invisible thread through all of your work. Voice is your, I mean, there's hard for me to define. You could do a better job probably, but just your, your unique perspective in the way that you sound in that medium point of view, you know, your unique individual perspective, medium of expression, your actual like, art are you a photographer musician whatever and then your style which seems to almost pull together a couple different things but i guess it's really just what unique approach you take to your medium essentially and so this is really high level stuff about being an artist i suppose but to me he was so precise and simplistic almost and crisp with the way he described like if you're going to be an artist you like it or not knowing it or not you have each of these things And so I was like, man, we need to do like either an episode on all of those, like what makes an artist or maybe an episode on each topic individually. Because for me, I have, of course, thought of medium of expression, of course, thought about style, of course, thought about voice. But I haven't thought a lot about subject, Mm -hmm. haven't thought a lot about point of view. So like, how do you sort of find that subject that you keep coming back to or what type of subjects should you really foster? Like he goes through these different examples of great artists and how they dig out a lane. And there's always sort of this thread of what they're talking about in the world. Maybe it's a social issue. Maybe it's a personal life story and experience. Um, But for me, like that was like, Oh man, I don't know a lot about, and I haven't thought super hard on what's my subject as an artist. What's my, point of view and how do those things kind of impact what I create? And I feel like that's a really, you know, great thing to talk about. Yeah. It's a great, I think it's a great set of terminology for us to get into things. And likewise with this, what we've been talking about, they're abstract in a way, but they're also very concrete. Like we can talk about voice of being like, right, the tone of, of, of voice and who you come across as. And that's a very technical question. I was actually talking with my students about uh, Edward Abbey and his specific voice. And it's kind of grumpy, I would just say. Uh, and we talked a little bit about voice and what are the kind of mm-hmm. elements and attributes that are, that are creating voice. And so it's a very technical question, but at the same time, it's, it is also kind of, abstract and it's dynamic, right? Your voice is changing. So if I'm thinking about this rhetorically, your voice in a text message to your mom is probably a different voice than a text message to your buddy, 
right? Your voice, the words you use, the abbreviations you use, the punctuation you use, the the gifs or gifs. I don't know where the society came down on that one. Do you know? Is there a, is there a correct one? I don't know. I say gif. Okay, the gifs that you use. Right, all of these are going to like you're going to have different tones. And so in what position you're in and what you're writing, why you're writing, who you're writing to, who your audience is, how old you are, what experiences you've gone in life, like all of these things are constantly making us shift. Like we're always shifting voices, right? We're always shifting yeah. styles. And so they become really rich avenues of discussion in the practical, but also in the kind of more abstract. I like that. Potential series. Question yeah, mark? Potential, potential series. Let us know. Send us an email at heycraftpodcast.gmail.com. Let us know what sticks out. I. So do you have a subject, do you think? You know, to be yeah. fair, he said that a lot of people don't, like, set out to craft one. It sort of just happens, you know? And maybe that's how it should be. But to me, I, I see one in your, in your writing, but I want to know what you think. Ooh, okay. That's interesting. I would say... For a subject, I think I'm going to adopt a little metaphor from Theodore Adorno, who talks about constellations. So a constellation being you've got a couple of different stars, right? A couple of different things you're interested in, but the constellation itself is bringing these together. And I'm pretty sure that's from Adorno. Uh, if it's not, it's it was <laughs> it was Adorno adjacent or something like that. But the idea of like, it's not just maybe I do one thing, which is fine. You can do one thing. But even if you say you do one subject, I do, <laughs> let's take something like economics. or It's like, okay, well, that's a bazillion ways you could go. And that and your actual interests within that are all over the place. Or if you do, right, environmental minded stuff, which is similar, I would say it's definitely one of the big stars in my constellation of nature writing and environmental questions, right? There's all sorts of like little, I don't know, constellations within the constellation and there's stars within the galaxy. And so I think it's something subject that kind of breaks down and is a composite thing of a lot of different interests, but I guess practically it could be something specific. I'm curious what you I'm curious your your speculation of the subject. I know, and I feel like I put myself on the spot here, but it's like, I just, I don't know. I think there's just a theme to your writing whenever part of it ties into the message, to the medium itself. You know, it's you, poetry, uh, short stories, creative writing. Those are the main things that I've read from you, and I've read some of your academic work. But, I mean, I would say definitely environmentalism sticks out even writing about just roots in Appalachia and definitely relationships as well. Mm. Um, and tying in romance relationships into nature and like philosophy relationship to God. Like, so that, I mean, that's super broad. Those are all very broad subjects, but it's narrower than, you know, all that it could be, I suppose. No, I think you're totally right. Themes that stick out for me. Yeah. I think you're totally right. And I think, it's uh, it's worth thinking about. It's definitely worth thinking about. Like, what are my subjects? Yeah, because I think that's going to help you be a better artist. Um, definitely. And I feel like you can have a diverse range of subjects. And I'll go. I'll always go back to Dylan because Dylan's the man. Dude, yeah. Dylan's all over the place, right? And he knows that, right? Like, and it's okay. I think to 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 wander, but I think there it is interesting to think about what threads. 
are getting followed through the work. Right. And maybe that's a question we answer if we do another episode on that is, do you, how much do you consciously put into your subject and how much do you follow just where you're, where you're really led, where you feel pulled, where, what's on your heart, what you want to express. So maybe that's an episode. Let us know if that's a topic that interests you and we'll get to that. I think we should probably wrap it up. Let's go ahead and uh, dive into the quote of the week. This is from The Hero's Journey by Pressfield. I thought I'd just share a little quote from that real quick to final finish out the episode. In Hollywood parlance, the all is lost moment is succeeded often immediately by the epiphanal moment. In this moment, the hero experiences a breakthrough. This breakthrough is almost always internal. The hero changes her attitude. She regroups. She sees her dilemma from a new perspective, one that she's never considered before, or if she had considered it, had rejected. A point of view that offers either hope or desperation amounting to hope. The narrative now enters Act 3. The hero, fortified by this fresh hope or desperation, charges full tilt into the climax. Sarah Connor stops running and turns to confront the Terminator. Luke Skywalker boards his X-Wing and flies against the Death Star. And that's that's it. <laughs> it kind of, uh, I do feel like I cut that off a little bit abruptly, but the I think that's, that's the climax concept of the book is that your artistic journey maybe just maybe one day takes you to this moment of epiphany where you step forward and then you're called out to make make a change internally and maybe that comes out into your art in some way so it can be experienced by others yeah i think that's a good summation of the uh the final act the third act i don't know if that's his final but if you're going by right the beginning middle and end this is the return right the the Mm -hmm. the epiphany that drives the return which breaks back through the threshold right and brings the Mm -hmm. the healing or the restoration or just the materialization if we're thinking about that of the Mm -hmm. idea so i think it's a good it's a good a good movement to end on definitely well this has been a fun episode man i'm excited to uh, put it out there so we'll see y'all in the next episode hey thanks for listening to the craft with carter and colby where we share what we're learning about the creative process if you're a writer music producer marketer filmmaker photographer or you just love creativity then this show is for you Our cover art was designed by Elizabeth Newell. You can learn more about her work at elizabethnewelldesign.com. That's Elizabeth, N-E-W-E-L-L, design.com. And you can follow her on Instagram at elizabethisadesigner. If you like the show, there's three things you can do to help us out. First, subscribe so you learn when we post new episodes. Second, send the link to one of your friends who you think would enjoy the show. Uh, Really, word of mouth is going to be the the number one way we grow the show in any way. And three, if you have a topic you want us to cover or feedback about how we can improve the show or comments on what we've said, you can respond to heycraftpodcast at gmail.com, H-E-Y-C-R-A-F-T podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.